Over the last six weeks, um, during the season of Lent, which we are in, which prepares us for Easter, we've been looking at, uh, again, at Jesus and the Gospel of Luke. We've been following Jesus as he gets closer and closer to the cross. We've looked at his teachings, we've looked at his miracles, and we've looked at his interactions between his disciples and the religious leadership. All the while, Jesus has been moving closer and closer and closer to the cross. As I said earlier, today is Palm Passion Sunday. We won't have a Good Friday service, which uh, focuses solely on Jesus' death and crucifixion. So this morning's a little odd, a little different. We began the service jubilant. Uh, None of us hardly singing because we're watching the kids. Uh, waving the palm branches. We want to take pictures and see the cute kids walking down the aisle. As we remember Jesus uh, coming into Jerusalem and, and people praising his name and singing to Jesus. Just days before he's arrested and crucified, yet we're ending this service talking about the cross. You see, without any mention of the cross or the crucifixion, the regular churchgoer, can come to church today on Palm Sunday and hear about Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the crowds chanting his names and then come in next week on Easter Sunday and hear about the resurrection. And they never hear about the cross. Without the cross, the resurrection doesn't make any sense. Without his death, Jesus' resurrection does not make much sense. But if you think about it, It's the cross that doesn't make any sense. It's the cross. Here is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, dying on the cross. God, through Jesus, has been moving closer and closer to the cross these last few weeks, and now we find him him here dying, dead. Now, fortunately for us, we know the end of the story. We know that Easter is coming. We know that three days after his death on the cross, Jesus does come back to life. But can you imagine just for a second what his disciples were feeling? Can you imagine what his followers were thinking? This man that they had followed for over three years who claimed to be the Messiah, God's anointed one, was arrested, beaten, hung on a cross, and he died there. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you think about it, Jesus' whole life was filled with paradoxes. How can an immortal God with no beginning and no end have a birthday? How does his father, Joseph, go looking for Jesus when they've lost Jesus, and they find him in his father's house? How does the creator of the world have no place to lay his head? And nowhere is the irony of Jesus' life um, stronger than in the expectations of his royalty. Jesus is descended from David, the King David, the greatest king Israel had known, He's the Messiah, the anointed one, who is expected to rule and reign. Last week we saw Mary anoint him as king. Um, as kings are anointed, 
with uh, perfume, and she pours a whole pint of perfume over his feet. And, and now we come to the point of his coronation and his entry into Jerusalem, but this coronation is nothing like what anyone following his story expected. Jesus is moving to his kingdom by the way of a cross of torture. I mean, listen, kings are not martyrs. They do not die sacrificial deaths. In the fairy tales, they live happily ever after with their queen standing by their side. In the history books, they die at the hands of an enemy or a rival, but always self-protectively, not self-sacrificially. But here on the cross, the king of kings is given a crown of thorns, not a crown of gold. And above his head is nailed a sarcastic message saying, this is the king of the Jews, basically saying, what a king. Wow. Impressive. Instead of a royal cupbearer, he's offered sour wine. Instead of a commanding an army, he is surrounded by soldiers who mock him and beat him. And two of the biggest shocks at the scene of the cross is not his followers giving witness to who he is. No, instead it is a petty thief who is hanging on his side on another cross who testifies to Jesus' kingship by asking Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it's a Roman soldier, after seeing how Jesus died, says, surely this was a righteous man. See, Jesus' whole life was a paradox. A life that did not make sense, even his death. His actions were often unexpected. His choice of followers was startling. A bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, basically a bunch of regular Joes off the street. His path to power was a, a path of defeat and death. The cross is the final moment of confusion for his followers. Just imagine. This can't be it. Can it? Can this be what he was intending to do with his reign? Is this it? Is this all? Can't be. I wonder if we look at our lives and we ask the same question sometimes. Is this it? Is this all? God, I thought there was more to this. Really? Because here's the thing. I think there's a lot of us, most of us in this room, that think everything in our lives is supposed to make sense. I think we believe that, hey, listen, you know what? If I just set about three to five goals, and I put a plan to those goals, and I, and I set out that plan for my life, then as long as I follow the steps that I've decided, God's going to help me, um, you know, make everything happen. I truly feel like that a lot of us feel that way. And then what happens? Our plans don't go as planned. Things happen. Life happens. Death 
happens. Loss happens. A diagnosis happens. Change happens. You move. A loved one moves. A friend moves. Someone hurts you. You hurt someone else. Someone cheats you. You cheat them. You think it up, and it can happen. And so if we think that that life is this straight line that just goes, you know, from point A to point B to point C, and then we get to the end of the alphabet, and man, whoo, that makes sense. If we think that's how life is, that just everything works out as planned, and then something happens that doesn't make any sense, guess what? Our faith gets rocked. It gets shattered. It gets broken. We start to doubt. We doubt God. We doubt our beliefs. We doubt ourselves. We start to question everything. In reality, however, man, life's more like a roller coaster. Not one of those that just like does hills and valleys. One of those ones that just like flips and corkscrews and you know and sometimes those valleys those valleys those lows are, 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 are sometimes of our own making sometimes those valleys are caused by something somebody else did and you know what sometimes those valleys happen because life happens see Jesus is proof that this life does not always make sense. And if we're supposed to live and look and act like Jesus, this, this life will definitely not make sense to those outside the church. You see, our culture just tells us all we really need to do, here's a sum of, a sum of life from our culture. All you need to do is to be a good person. Just be a good person. That's it. Just got to be a good person. That's it. How often have you heard that said or, or described someone? You know what? A, that's a really good person. He's a really good guy. She's a really good woman. They got a good heart. You ever, you ever said that? You ever heard that? We do it all the time. And so what we're really saying when we say that is, you know what? That person is an upstanding citizen. They are a law-abiding citizen. They don't make too many waves in the community. You know what? They, they really have a nice job, kind of a, a nice job. They do some good work and service in the community. They got a good name, a good reputation. They're a really good person. But when we say someone's a good person, who are we comparing them to? We're all a good person in here compared to the criminal in death row. Right? I mean, we are good. You know, I'm certainly, I mean, I'm certainly a good person compared to Dan. I mean, woo! But then, I don't know about if I compare myself to Mr. James or Mr. Kelton. Woo! I don't know. See, it all, it, it changes depending on who you're comparing yourself to. But you see, God, our creator, has declared that none of us are good enough. 
That's the bad news for today. That none of us are good enough. None of us meet his standards. Our God is a holy and perfect God, and no person on this planet is able to meet those standards. In God's eyes, we are all imperfect people with all kinds of blemishes and warts and just nasty things that, you know what, don't look so bad when we compare them to each other's blemishes. I mean, when we compare, you know, my blemishes to your blemishes, well, you know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a good person, right? But when we compare them to the holy and perfect presence of God our Father, those blemishes are blinding. God can't look on them. But here's the good news. God didn't like seeing our blemishes and our scars and our warts. He wanted to see us as perfect and holy. But God requires a sacrifice for our blemishes and our sins. God requires payment for our sins, sacrifice for our relationship to be made right with him. And God didn't ask us to make that payment. In order to wipe out the sins of the entire world, he needed a big sacrifice. So you know what God did? God chose to sacrifice himself. His very son, Jesus. God chose to come to us, to be one of us, to live a perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice. God chose the cross. God moved to the cross. I know, I know, I know. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Absolutely. Why would God do that? Why would he? Why would God choose to die a horrific death on the cross? He's the king of the world. He did so because that's how much he loves you and me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We all know that one, but let's keep going. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. One of the greatest paradoxes, ironies in, the, in, in life is that none of us is good enough. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way, the only way to be made right with God is to trust in Christ, to trust his death, and to trust that Christ's sacrifice on the cross made you and made me right with our Heavenly Father. Stop trying to be good enough. If you're always trying to be good enough, to do what the world deems as good, you are going to be always trying to hit a moving target. The cross is proof that none of us is good enough, but through trust in Jesus, God will make us right with him and right in his eyes. And stop trying to make everything in life make sense. Some of us are more comfortable with that than others. Free spirits in here are like, okay, that's great. That's how I live. 
type A's in here, that's a struggle. I know that's going to be difficult. Because most of us think we've got everything figured out. But the cross and God moving to the cross is proof that everything doesn't make sense. Everything doesn't have to make sense in the moment. Think about those disciples and those followers of Christ who are at the foot of the cross. Nothing made sense when Jesus breathed his last breath. But here's what we know that they didn't. Easter is coming. Sunday is coming. Amen. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Forgive us for trying to be good enough. I don't know, Father, trying to work our way to heaven when you have already done all the work for us. Father, break us that we might simply trust in the cross and Christ's sacrifice on it, knowing that He did everything that is needed for us to be made right with You. And Father, help us to, to trust You more, knowing that to the world, Jesus' life was, just didn't make sense. And that if we follow him, there will be times when our lives will not make sense. Help us to trust you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.